Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This podcast is brought to you by listeners of the show who have become patrons at Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Irish podcast. When you become a patron, you get lots of exclusive content. You will get the show a week early. You get a listener's guide with transcripts of each episode, an exclusive monthly patrons-only podcast and much more. This week, I want to thank the following patrons who have brought this series to you. Amy Marshall, Jesse McCabe, Ryan Phelan, Hugh Kelly and Kerry Lee Farrell. Thanks a lot, folks. I really appreciate your support. You can become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn Dwyer and this is People and Potatoes Was Ireland Overpopulated in 1845? During the last two episodes, I have covered the major events leading up to 1845, the year the Great Famine began. This podcast looks at one of the most perplexing aspects of Ireland before the famine, the staggering growth in population. The podcast looks at exactly how many people were living in Ireland in 1845. Whereabouts did they live? What was housing like? And crucially, what did they eat? These questions combined basically answer the key puzzle. Was Ireland overpopulated in 1845? Now this intriguing conundrum is very important to answer before we get into the actual story of the Great Famine because it influences how we understand the events. If the answer is yes and Ireland was overpopulated then, as many have argued, the Great Famine may have been somewhat inevitable. If the answer is no, then the future in 1845 was unwritten. To begin, I'm going to look at Ireland's population which was in 1845 so very different in every way imaginable to Ireland in 2017. Not only was the population much larger than it is today, but people were living in parts of the island which we think of as intensely rural and maybe even isolated today. So, to illustrate this, I want to start by painting a picture 
of one of my favourite places in Ireland, where we finished the last episode and where I lived for nearly two years a decade ago. That is Erse in County Mayo. While this modern description may seem far from the story of the Great Famine, in a few minutes you'll see how this stunning place, in many ways, has the history of the Great Famine etched into its very landscape. The village of Inver in Eris has to be one of the more remote settlements in Ireland in the 21st century. It's so small that it doesn't even feature on Google Maps. Perched on the shores of Broadhaven Bay overlooking the Atlantic Ocean, the nearest city is Galway, located 150 kilometres to the south over pretty poor roads. Dublin is over four hours to the east. Few people stray into Inver unintentionally. It lies several miles up an uninviting turn off the road that links the towns of Ballina and Belmullet. Coniferous forests and dense laurels line the first mile or so, giving the impression the road leads to nowhere. However, after a few minutes the landscape transforms. The trees fade away, revealing a pristine landscape on either side of Shrothwatakon Bay, a narrow but fast-moving current of water that penetrates deep into earth. The phrase God's own country was invented for this part of the world. Places like this are used to advertise rural Ireland. It is peaceful, quiet and sparsely populated. Rain, hail or shine, there's a rugged beauty in the landscape. The narrow road that brings you to Inver hugs the shoreline of Shrothwatakon Bay before it begins to climb in a curling arc around the base of a steep hill known locally as Dooncarton Mountain. As you pass the base of Dooncarton, the scenery adopts epic proportions. The narrow confines of Shrothwatakon Bay give way to the vast expanses of Broadhaven Bay. Then, a few miles along the western edge of Broadhaven, the narrow road widens out somewhat around a church, school, pub and a few dozen houses. This is Inver, where, according to the 2011 census, 114 people call home. In summer, the scenery here is mesmerising and it's the perfect place to get away from the bustle of the city. But that said, life here is not easy for those who stay for 12 months of the year. Atlantic storms batter the coast with unrelenting frequency. The land is poor and finding work can be difficult. The fact that one in four houses in Inver were empty when the census was taken in 2011 is a testament to this. In many ways, this is a stereotypical rural Irish village sparsely populated but sitting in tranquil surroundings. While you might think I've veered far from the story of the Great Famine, places like Inver explain the population collapse that occurred during and after the events of the 1840s. The village's current appearance totally obscures its history. Life in this small settlement was very, very different in 1845. Sure enough, the Atlantic storms have been battering away at the coastline since long before any human ever set foot in Ireland. But in the 1840s, Inver and the surrounding countryside were not exactly quiet or tranquil. There are certainly hints in the modern landscape that things here were once very different. There are still lonely walls and occasional fields that were obviously once someone's home. However, it's only when you delve into archives and past censuses that you can begin to fathom how much life has changed here in the last 170 or so years. In the 1840s, Inver was far more remote than it is today. The nearest town, Belmullet, had only been established in 1825 and was still growing. However, even in spite of this, Inver was heaving with people. The village itself 
was home to 436 people, while over a thousand more lived in the surrounding areas of Gert Brock, Gert Mulieu and Greg Hill. Patrons will find a map at patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast pointing out these locations. In 1841, nearly 1,500 people lived in this part of the world. Today, it's only 400. It's strange to say, but in 1845, somewhere like Inver, far from any big town, cannot really be described as truly rural. However, it wasn't alone in Ireland. The population of rural Ireland exploded in the decades before 1841, and there were places like Inver up and down the island. And while we will return to this village later in the show, Next, I want to take a look at the overall Irish population to give you some sense of just how large it was in the 1840s. The situation in Inver reflected wider Ireland in the early 19th century when the island experienced nothing short of a population explosion. The population of Ireland had begun to increase rapidly in the late 18th century and by 1801 it was somewhere in the region of 5.5 million people. Four decades later, in the census of 1841, it was recorded as officially being over 8 million people. But many historians suspect this underestimated the true figure, which was probably closer to 9 million people. Nearly all of these people were living in rural areas. That said, rapid population growth during the early 19th century wasn't uncommon. In Britain, for example, the population increased from 10.5 million to 13.5 million people between 1801 and 1841. However, as the story of the village of Inver indicated, the nature of Ireland's population growth was unusual, even unique, given it was taking place in rural areas. While Britain's population was increasing, much of this surge was in industrial cities. Manchester, for example, trebled in size between 1801 and 1841, But this wasn't happening in Ireland. Despite the island's phenomenal increase in population, the capital city Dublin had only seen a modest increase through the early 19th century. It was in places like Inver where the population explosion was taking place. And this led many people at the time and since then to argue that Ireland was overpopulated because there simply were too many people living on the land. However, we need to establish the truth of this claim of whether Ireland was overpopulated given we are about to discuss the Great Famine. Before we look at this question, there are a few things we need to bear in mind. Firstly, the numbers alone are meaningless unless they are contextualised, so we need to know what people were eating. Was there enough food? Was there evidence people were running out of food? Basically, what was the general standard of living? To answer this, I'm going to return to Inver in Urs and see how people there were living. Were they surviving? or, alternatively, approaching a point where something had to give because there simply were too many people living on the land. When you visit Inver in Eris, County Mayo, its breathtaking scenery is enhanced by the peaceful, quiet landscape. It's very difficult, though, to imagine how large numbers of people once lived in the surrounding area. Overall, the soil is poor, the narrow strips of grassy fields have been reclaimed from a bog that dominates much of the terrain between the village and Duncarton Mountain to the north. However, it was here that prior to the famine that over 1,500 people lived. Now, based on some evidence, it may seem that they were just about struggling to survive. In 1839, a Tipperary man, Caesar Otway, visited this part of the world and he passed very close to Inver and recorded what houses were like just a few miles away at a place called Barnathraw. Otway said, 
There were constructed some of the most wretched hovels. The foundations of the dwellings are sunk eight feet or more below the surface of the surrounding black bog. The walls are constructed of wet sods cut off the surface of that bog. There is no door, no chimney. A drain comes out under the floor of the dwelling from which the superabundant moisture escapes or else it would be a common bog hole. But by its means the water that springs abundantly from the sides and bottom flows away. It's really hard to imagine anyone living in a house like this and one at that which might be shared by five, six or maybe more people. This general type of housing was not uncommon though. Marianne Grant, who lived in Galway, wrote this description in 1804. Their huts, or cabins as they are called, present the striking pictures of penury. The horse, cow and pig, if there are any, enjoy the same privileges with their master and his family, for they generally all live or rather exist under the same roof, which is literally a receptacle of every kind of filth, smoke and vermin. Contemporaries frequently use the term hovel to describe the houses of the rural poor and judging from the 1841 census, this is a pretty accurate description. In the entire region of Erse, which surrounds Inver, 67% of all houses were one-roomed mud cabins. Another 30% were mud cabins of two to four rooms. This type of housing definitely supports the idea that people were truly desperate and you can see how this evidence was used to support claims that Ireland was in fact overpopulated. This was reinforced by the appearance of the people. Numerous visitors to Ireland in the early 19th century commented on the clothes of the poor. The term used time and again was rags. Hermann Furst von Puckler Moscow, a German aristocrat, described the woman he met the whole clothing of the young woman before me consisted of a large, very coarse straw hat and literally two or three rags of the coarsest sackcloth suspended under her breast by a piece of cord. This was a pretty common enough description for the time. While the people who wrote these accounts were often from Britain or the continent and had a limited understanding of Ireland, they were, by and large, correct. There can be little doubt that the poor in Ireland lived in abysmal conditions in terms of housing and clothing. When reading these accounts, they seem to prove that Ireland was in fact overpopulated and it could not sustain the numbers who lived on the island. However, a poor country doesn't necessarily mean a country is overpopulated and the picture gets very complex because while many described the terrible conditions in which people lived, they also at the same time, strangely, noted people looked healthy in their rags. This brings us to what is perhaps the most important aspect of any discussion on population which is diet, and whether people were well fed. Therefore, the time has come to introduce what will become a massively important aspect of the story of the Great Famine, that is, the potato. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Now, let's get back to the 1840s, the west of Ireland, and what food was like at the time. One of the two roads that brings you to Inver from the east of Ireland is known as the Coast Road, traversing the north coast of Mayo. You pass through some pretty spectacular but rugged country along this road, which is in parts carved through boggy terrain along the edge of cliffs that fall 400 feet down to the sea. While it's stunning, when you look around you can't help but wonder how people survived in this part of the world when they had to rely on little else other than the land around them. Occasionally, on the road west, however, you can see the fading, ghostly reminders of what was once a very different landscape on distant hills. Today, these reminders are no more than ridges running up and down the side of these hills, where few, if anyone, ever bothers to farm today other than turning a few mountain sheep loose to graze. These ridges are, however, a testimony to the food that allowed the population in the 19th century to reach 9 million people, the potato. These ridges are remnants of lazy beds, long linear trenches dug into fields. The earth which was dug out was then used to create a raised ridge or bed between each trench. The potatoes were planted on this bed which was manured with dung or seaweed where possible while the trench allowed water to drain away in wet land. While the lazy beds that survive today are fading reminders of a very different Ireland, their story and, importantly, the story of the crop they supported is key to understanding life in 19th century Ireland. The potato had arrived in Ireland from the Americas in the late 16th century. Over the following 200 years, it became an increasingly important part of the Irish diet. It's easy to see why. The Irish climate, while never particularly cold, is pretty wet. In somewhere like Inver in Eris, you could expect up to 225 days rain a year. Many crops simply can't flourish in that kind of climate. However, the potato was able to thrive. A family of five or six people could live for a year off one acre of potatoes and through the late 18th century the plant increasingly became a central part of the Irish diet. Then in the early 19th century as the population increased, inequality soared as we saw in the last episode and the poor had less land to live on, the versatile potato became increasingly dominant. By the 1840s over two million people Landless labourers and their families lived on plots of land rented on a con-acre basis that were often little more than an acre in size. A further 1.75 million people lived on farms of less than 10 acres. For these people, there was simply nothing that could provide food in the way the potato could, particularly given they often lived on the worst land available. While this left between 3 and 4 million Irish people dependent on the potato crop, Given we are concerned with population, we next need to ask whether it was healthy or not. In the 1840s, the potato was considered by many not to be an adequate foodstuff at all. The fact that one third of the entire crop in Ireland was fed to pigs and cattle undoubtedly made some view it as unsuitable for human consumption. The Freeman's Journal had this to say in December 1843 about the variety of potato the rural poor almost universally grew for food, known as the lumper, so-called because it was particularly lumpy. The root was scarcely good enough for swine since it neither possesses the starchy quality of better qualities of the plant, nor is it palatable as the others being wet and tasteless and in point of substantial nutriment little better as an article of human food than a Swedish turnip. 
While the Freeman's Journal was right that the lumper potato was watery and pretty tasteless, they were wrong about the nutritional value. Indeed, it was pretty astonishingly good, in fact. The amount of potatoes grown and consumed by people in Ireland was phenomenal in the 1840s. Every time I use these figures, I usually have to double-check and triple-check because they're so unbelievable. A survey in 1839 across Clare, Limerick and Tipperary looked at the daily intake of potatoes for adult labourers, the poorest in society, and it found that they ate 13 pounds of potatoes and 3 pints of buttermilk every day. That's nearly 6 kilos or 40 average sized potatoes and 1.5 litres of buttermilk. Now this diet wasn't the tastiest, there's no doubt about that. These lumper potatoes were chosen because of their high yields and as I mentioned earlier they were watery and bland. Further to this, buttermilk is a bitter but very wholesome byproduct in the process of making butter but I don't think many people would say it's delicious. However, as bland and unappealing as this diet may have been, it was surprisingly healthy. So while the Irish were on one level living in grinding poverty, we have seen the terrible conditions of their housing and clothing, they were at the same time healthier than many of their contemporaries in Europe on the eve of the Great Famine. This was something that was noticed at the time. Adam Smith, the famous economist, was not the only one to comment on the healthy appearance of Irish people when he said, as early as the 1770s, the strongest men and most beautiful women, perhaps in the British dominions, are said to be, the greater part of them, from the lowest rank of people in Ireland. Indeed, the German traveller Hermann von Puckler Muskau noted in the 1830s the natural grace of the Irish peasant women, who are truly beautiful. While Adam Smith and von Puckler Muskau may well have had a thing for Irish women, their views are supported by facts. All evidence indicates that the greater reliance on the potato was making the Irish population healthier than their contemporaries, many of whom lived primarily on bread. The daily intake of buttermilk and 40 or so potatoes provided a peasant with around 4,700 calories every day. This is almost double the recommended caloric intake in the 21st century, but it's worth bearing in mind people then did a lot more physical labour and needed more calories. While the potatoes provided calories, it was also a pretty balanced diet providing a range of vitamins and nutrients. This led to a relatively healthy population which is proved in lots of different aspects of life. First of all, the overall fertility rate was pretty high, reflected in the rapidly expanding population. Life expectancy was pretty decent, even if child mortality was high, so while the overall average life expectancy at birth was only 37, this increased to 50 once the baby passed through the dangerous first year. This was considerably higher than their medieval ancestors. Irish people were also physically taller. According to a study in 1845, the average height was 70 inches in Ireland, 68.5 in England and 68 in Belgium. Even in the British Navy, recruits from Ireland were slightly taller than recruits from England. Therefore, the picture of rural Ireland and the overall Irish population is complex and contradictory. There's no doubt that the poor had gotten poorer in many respects over the course of the 19th century. As we saw in the last episode, farm size in the West decreased with each generation, while rural labourers renting land on a conacre basis in the rest of the country were living transient and impoverished lives. However, while the people were poor, they do not appear to have been unhealthy by the standards of the time. Of course, as we saw in the last episode, in bad years they were vulnerable to harvest failures, but that was something pretty much all societies were affected by. 
In fact, while they caused untold misery and disease, they appeared to have declined in frequency in the decade or so in the run-up to the famine. When we put all this together, there's no evidence Ireland was actually overpopulated. If it was, you would expect the population to be struggling, as there would not be enough food to survive. If anything, the opposite is true. Ireland in this period was actually increasing its exports to Britain. Furthermore, while people were living off what was one of the worst varieties of potatoes, it still provided a decent diet. None of this means that life delivered everything the people wanted, far from it. Overall, the fact that the majority had to rely on one foodstuff alone indicated their limited options. Also, these people had little money to spend or improve their overall position in life. However, this indicates that it was inequality and not overpopulation which was at the root of many of their problems. The food was being produced, it was just being exported and sold to the highest bidder, leaving many to become dependent on the potato. Finally, it's worth mentioning before I sign off that while the reliance on the potato seems like a strategy for disaster, very few could predict the Great Famine. Many noted the problems of Irish poverty, but John Brinkley, the Church of Ireland Bishop of Cloyne, who predicted the huge death that could result from a potato failure, was a lone voice. The next episode is a patron's podcast on the story of Catholic emancipation, so there will be no general show next week. In two weeks' time, the regular show will return with an episode called Dangerous Ideas and the Poor Law, when we will see how the government treated the poor in Ireland in 1845. This is the story of workhouses and a callousness that at times seemed unbelievable. Until then, Sloan. If you want to get next week's Patrons Podcast, you can sign up now at patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Irish podcast. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.